Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. We come to you after one of probably the most frustrating games of football that uh, we've watched in quite some time. Um, and to try and keep the talking points within this game to kind of around the R mark. Um, I've got Beryl Agus in the Netherlands. Beryl, how are we feeling now? Um, well, I, I'm actually um, progressed from from fuming to, to being just a bit sta- sad for, for Virgil. But, you know, I've been better. Uh, how are you? <sighs> just like, just a bit fucked off with football right now. I'm thinking, like, like, what's the actual point? But I'm sure I will come around eventually. But we'll wait and see. Um, because there's well, we'll wait and see because there's more to piss me off about football now than there has been in quite some time uh, I've also got Jay Reid Liverpool Jay under lockdown restrictions much much like myself how are you doing? Uh, getting by uh, pretty much like Biddle I was pissed off at the weekend and angry and to be quite I just accepted it now that it's just the way it is that the incompetence is something that we've got to get used to in life and football so we don't want it, but it's just there. So, yeah, we we we, we just get by, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I've, had do. I've had to deal with the blue shades all, all day and work. So, oh, I know, running around, <laughs> running around celebrating the draw and somebody so, needing surgery yeah. on their leg. Oh, what a fucking class act they all are. Oh, was a congratulations on your two-two win. You topped the league after four games. Well done. Oh, <sighs> what a bunch of billions. Oh yeah. dear. All right, and um, and I've also got Neil Patterson in Berlin, Chief. How are we doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in better shape than I was uh, than I was after the game on Saturday or at any time since. I suppose to be fair, it's been a couple of days, sort of, you know, come to terms with the stench of corruption hangs heavy in the air, and the stench of incompetence is is certainly there, but. All in all, pretty good, pretty determined and resolute and uh, obviously sad for Virgil, uh, but we'll get on to that later. Um, but yeah, looking forward to get into the many, many facets of this particular encounter. All right, Chief, look, I'll kick off with you. Um, all right, well. Let's, let's um, so we'll have our lineup. We're all pretty happy with our lineup. I suppose we'll start with the Van Dyke Pickford penalty offside by a shirt sleeve which is half of your upper arm incident now and this is as much I feel this is as much to do with the offside change or sorry the handball rule change than it does with anything else because I've looked at the line and it seems to be that because Virgil had his arm stretched out that you can't score with because his shirt sleeve was therefore stretched out he was deemed offside by literally that sticker on his sleeve that tells us that we're Premier League champions. Now, at aside, like, what the fuck, mate? You know? Yeah, I mean... Like, like, you can just try and break it down as to how many errors were actually made in that, like, two-second passage of play. Well, for me, I don't, uh, you know, for me, first of all, I have to start with the line because I've seen that line many times since then and at the time and why you you know you shouldn't be drawing the line from there I know that the handball rule has technically changed and technically if you, you if if the ball hits the very bottom of your shirt and still goes in 
it could be ruled a goal. But for me, he can't score with the elbow, and it's the elbow that's offside. To call an offside there, first of all, it's massively against the spirit of the game. Secondly, it's it's you're absolutely looking for tiny, tiny details there, which again, it's it's you're you're trying to act as if the technology is foolproof and can detect that millimeter of the offside. But it can't. We know it can't. They've admitted as much. That's out there. It's in the public domain. So you're not, you are not David Coote. You are not Hawkeye. You don't have a brain that Hawkeye has. And you can't judge the very moment that the, the, the ball has been played. Therefore, you cannot say that half a millimeter of a shirt is offside because you, you don't have that precision. So why are you trying to do it? You know, it, why are you looking for that? What is your mentality when you're looking for that? Are you, are, are you judging the spirit of the game? Are you going along, you know, like referees love to say and always loved to say, you're trying to boil offside down to absolute fact when you don't have the technology to do it. And the arrogance of the men and they are men making these decisions. The arrogance of the men to pretend and suppose to be as quick and as sharp as these computers, which are specifically designed for this purpose and the technology, is, is staggering, but not surprising. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you know, Jordan, Jordan Pickford comes out and absolutely mauls Van Dyke. And... Um, you know, offside or no offside, it's a red card challenge. Then they've come out today and sort of said, this is Monday, we're recording this, by the way. Uh, they've come out today and said, oh, no, it was seen and we didn't think it was a red card. If you don't think it's a red card, you are the only people that have seen that challenge, whether ex-players, whether presenters, whether football fans, whether uh, current players who think that that challenge is a red card. If you don't think that's a red card, you aren't fit to be in charge of, of running the game in the country. So let's just get that out of the way as a start. I know. Fuck's sake. My wife knew it was a red card. So, like, seriously. The, the world and his wife, it's a scissor tackle at knee height, not looking at the ball, both feet off the ground. It's fucking disgraceful. And it's cardly. And Pickford should be called out because he's a card. He's a card. He didn't have the guts to even look at Van Dyke. Didn't, didn't have a clue where the ball was. Just absolutely shithouse tactics. Shite bag, complete shite bag. So anyway, Jordan Pickford has, has had it in the year for me, certainly over this weekend. And, and, and when his demise comes, it will be will be rapid. And, and I, for one, will look on gleefully because uh, he's not only is a shite bag, he's, he's fucking bollocks as well. So at least we had two terrible keepers on display. But at least ours is very much our second choice. Unlucky Everton. You had to do with him all season. Um, yeah, apart from that, Liverpool started absolutely fabulously. And I think that incident knocked the stuffing out of us. But I think overall in the game, you know, we were, we were, we were excellent. And, um, you know, it was just a, a very, very unfortunate five-second passage of play there. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Jay, it's... <clears throat> It's a difficult one to take 
with the injury, how it's happened. Um, but the fact remains that we know there's a margin of error for offsides, and we can pick this up again with, with Henderson's goal, but there's a margin of error with offsides that they realise that they don't have the relative frames per second in order to fully identify whether a player's offside or not, exactly when the ball was kicked. So why is there not a margin of error placed on the decision-making process at the end? In honesty, I don't know. Because <laughs> like, it's down to these idiots who have got too much power and abuse it, basically. Um, for what it's worth, I think like my 10 cents worth on, on the challenge, if if VAR is not in the game and that challenge occurs, I think we might have accepted it a little more. It's not right, but you'd accept the fact that it's a derby and these rough challenges take place. And it would have been an unfortunate circumstance and maybe we just would have said, well, it was one of them. Derby challenges, over the top, it's wrong. But because we've got VAR and they're there to eradicate clear and obvious errors, which was clear and obvious that Oliver didn't see it or should have at least re-addressed it by looking at it again, then that well, makes it worse for me. The, they've, they've told us that he did see it and they've told us that he made a decision and they've said that because he's looked at it and made a decision, it's okay for that decision to be wrong and that decision will stand. In that case, even he needs Dan Corgan else. Even though that is a clear and obvious error, if he has seen that and made the decision that it isn't a red card, because it's a clear... and so, so for them to come out and say that it just negates their whole process. This is where, and they've only come out and said that because they've just closed ranks. Because by saying that, they think they can exonerate all of them from ever having made any kind of mistake. Because if they see seen it and it's not well, then, you know, and it's offside anyway, then what are you all yapping about? But that's the typical path that these this particular association takes consistently when coming under fire. It just lies its way out. And, People say, people sort of explain away the incompetence, like you have to and just go, well, you have to deal with it. And that's where we are. And that's why it's getting sickening. Because it's, because as Beryl alluded to, there, there is a, before the pod, there is a hint of a, a very, you know, sort of pungent tang of corruption here and, and, and dodginess going on, you know, where we're not actually, you know, we're not seeing, we're, we're not privy to the, to the goings on, but you know, it's 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 why are these decisions being made consistently? I and it comes down to the the people making the decisions and the clearly incompetence. Like VAR as a concept is part of the modern game and many will argue for, many will argue against, but many across the world use it properly now. And it just seems that it's us that seem to fuck it up. And I think we were speaking before about that we're one of, if not the only country that are fully paid professional referees. Some other countries don't, yet they use VAR a lot better than us. There's a clip going around social media of the A-League in Australia where the referees made a decision for the yellow card, being told to look at VAR, held a conversation with the VAR official, had a look at the monitor, small conversation which can be heard on the television then gone over and decided yep that was a mistake of mine red card off you go like how hard can it be like it, it's there that 
the technology is there to improve the game, but we're fucking it up. And we're not always personally the, the referees, and it's a closed shop that they're not willing to accept any responsibility. They're not willing to come out and give any explanation. And it's happening continuously week after week after week. And you know for a fact that, for me, the, the referee that cocked up with David Coote, now he and Oliver made a mistake. Now, next week, a similar situation will possibly crop up with games that they're involved, either in VAR or on the pitch. And you can probably put good money on the fact that they'll make a reverse decision because they know they've made a wrong decision last week. So then next week, they're going to try and alter that. And then you're going to affect some other team and negate some other situations. So that's where it's not fair and it's not right. It needs to be a balanced situation where it's of a VAR board and they deal with all VAR because you'd have these referees who are going out on a Saturday afternoon and making a decision, right or wrong, in whatever way, and then they might be behind the screen on the Sunday, and then that's that as as any human would do. You've made a mistake, you want to eradicate it, so then you're going to go behind the screen and think that's a marginal handball or a marginal offside. I'll give that, or I won't give that, and it's ruining the game. It's it's taking all what we've got left of the game with no fans in the game as it is, we've already lost a lot and they're taking what's left of it and just crushing it. And it's, it's not on. And unfortunately, we're talking about VAR from the off and referees from the off. We're not talking about what was a really good performance from Liverpool, what was arguably one of our best away performances since Leicester at Christmas time last year. And that's the situation that they've created, and it's it's not right. I, I I'm lost for words because it, it, the more you go on about it, the more it pisses you off, and the more it winds you up. And it shouldn't be like that because that's not football. It's it's the working class game for the working class people, and upper class, middle class people are making decisions and ruining it for everyone else, like like society. So I, I don't really know what else to say, but it needs sorting. But how it's going to be sorted? I don't know because the the clowns at the top are running the circus. Yeah, yeah, that 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 strikes a chord with me certainly. Um, Beryl, the you know the decision making process within the game from the referees, there was so much inconsistency there. We saw the excuse thrown about that because Pickford's challenge was made after the offside decision. It didn't need to be looked at yet. Richarlison was rightly sent off for an absolute horror tackle on Thiago after the whistle had gone. Um, And then we see the Mane offside, which I still don't think anybody can really kind of explain, even with lines, straight, bent, dodgy, time, you know, framed. Can we see it? Can we see it? Uh, a picture when Thiago's actually struck the ball because we're just trusting the fact that that's when Thiago has struck the ball um, as the that's the situation Mane was in at the time. Um, and there's just, there's no consistency across games. There's no consistency within games. There's no consistency with referees, VAR ref, or video assisted referees. Um, and what we just have in our hands, it's, it's turning into a fucking lottery as to what you're going to get one week from the next in English football. Um, well, 
you know, uh, uh, there there were these discussions uh, about VAR for for a long while, and 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 uh, lots of people were were uh, you know advocating it because uh, obviously uh, all of the time uh, mistakes are being made, and 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 referees made mistakes, and and there were some very striking ones. Uh, there are some mistakes, refereeing mistakes that we all uh, remember. You know, uh, uh, that uh, the Henry handball is one that comes to mind. But uh, I think there is a philosophical problem with VR, VAR because, you know, you, you need to remember that football is a game and uh, it's and, and people watch it because it's it's entertaining to watch that game. And and uh, and it's even more entertaining when you support one of the clubs uh, and, uh, and 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 you want them to to uh, to do well, uh, etc. So it, and and. and we we've turned it into something else because as if it, it's it's a life and, and and death matter that that needs to be uh, needs to be absolutely just um, and and every decision needs to be absolutely just and needs to be exact uh, we 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 have started to use this technology which which is um, clearly undercooked and and not not um, not at all enough to do the things that we're trying to do with it, you know, uh, as, 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 as both uh, uh, Jay and Neil uh, said uh, about, you know, the, the, the offside, you, you, we don't have the technology to, 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 to determine um, if, uh, if, 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 you know, uh, someone is a millimeter offside or not, you know, and, and, and therefore we had this rule before, before we had bar, if there is, doubt then you give the advantage to the attacking team and 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 you know who could who could who could possibly uh, claim that there wasn't doubt with that go, uh, Henderson goal uh, uh, only if you want to see um, uh, Mane being offside there you you will see him offside but um, even then you won't it's it's not even you know you, you had these social media um, um, phenomena about uh, you know some people saw uh, a dress being yellow and the others saw them uh, green or something like that. Uh, uh, this isn't even that. It's it's it, it was very clear to everyone uh, uh, that this was not even a marginal uh, offside because uh, you know we we could have accepted it then and. And we are Liverpool fans, and yes, we are not uh, objective in this matter. But if you listen to these people who are objective, uh, um, I've listened to a, a couple of um, football podcasts today, and 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 all of them were were saying exactly the same thing uh, about the Pickford challenge, uh, it being reckless, and uh, and it was a red card, and about the uh, the offside call that was uh, so marginal that it, it wasn't an offside call. Um, uh, Jonathan Wilson, uh, who is, uh, I think, one of the, the best um, uh, football journalists, said, uh, uh, and I quote, it's like a parking attendant dishing out a ticket for staying two minutes too long or being an inch outside the space while ignoring the thief putting a crowbar through the windscreen. Um, you know, uh, looking at if 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 Virgil van Dijk was, was marginally offside or not um, while he is, um, while he's being treated for his, uh, you know, not treated, but, you know, while, while they are looking at his knee, uh, which is in, um, uh, which was bent uh, the wrong way by, by, by an, by an idiot who, who recklessly endangers one of his colleagues. And, and, and Virgil van Dijk now will have to, um, 
you know, uh, uh, in, in this very short career that, that football players have, uh, he will lose out on, on, a, on a year that would have been, you know, in his prime and in, uh, on um, uh, competing for, for everything uh, you, can, uh, you can want to compete for as, as a football player. So uh, these, it's, uh, you know, it's VAR um, is something I, you know, I have begrudgingly accepted that you know um, people want uh, i i didn't want it in the first place because uh, again i think it's a game and you need to accept the fact that uh, if if people judge it there will be mistakes but people are still judging it and now just you know they take just longer to make the wrong decision uh, and and it's it's even more unacceptable because they have all the means to to take a, a good decision and they still don't do it so it's very frustrating, and I'm, uh, you know, I, what you said in the beginning of this uh, of this pod that you um, that you weren't uh, enjoying football at this at this moment. Uh, I, I I can understand that, and um, I, I've I've felt really hard done by, and uh, I hope we can galvanize or use this energy to to you know um, perform. Uh, and, and 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 get even with uh, with these uh, with, with these odds. You know everything is is is, uh, is against us at this point. But uh, but also we could maybe galvanize and we being the football community um, to to change some things because you know this is not the way we should move into it. This is not the direction we should go in. Um, this is really ruining the game, and and I'm not being uh, uh, nostalgic or something, but um, you know this this isn't the way I can uh, watch football and be entertained by it. Yeah, I think you I think you speak for everybody there, um, Beryl, 100%. So look, let's try try and get away from from the referee and decisions. Um, we'll come back to Van Dyke's injury and where that leads us towards the end, but. Chief, there's there's some real positives to be taken out of the game, and I think you know the first thing that I want to look at is is the midfield three um, and how they function, particularly um, the two either side of of uh, Fabinho. Um, Thiago second half particularly was just sublime. Um, Jordan Henderson was absolutely tremendous from start to finish. Um, coupled by him getting into the box to get on the end of, of Mane's cross for what should have been the winning goal. But, you know, there's some real real encouragement to be shown from what we saw on the pitch as to what is notoriously a difficult place for us to go. Notoriously, a really poor game where there's very few goals, but we dominated for large parts absolutely dominated them um and the midfield was you know was core to that performance absolutely i mean if you take out the pickford on van dyke i think liverpool win that game five or six to nil uh maybe calvert lewin gets it gets a consolation uh from a from a set piece at some point um that midfield three was on paper was was mouth-watering and it didn't disappoint. And hopefully going forward, even despite um, 
the injury to Van Dijk. Hopefully, we'll see a lot more of that midfield. Um, both Henderson and, and Thiago were fabulous. I heard some stats earlier um, about the pass completion and um, and the I think I think um, Thiago was something like seventy two from seventy nine or seventy three from seventy nine successful passes and and Henderson was something like fifty one from from sixty two or something like that so um, very involved and uh, very very effective Thiago bossed the second half Henderson bossed the first. Um, and I thought Fabinho was was excellent, just breaking up play, patrolling. I thought we were able to uh, pen uh, Everton in at points uh, and turn the screw. I thought uh, Joe Gomez got the got that after five ten minutes of coming on, stepped up a little higher, and uh, I thought we were, at, as I said, at various times, uh, both end of the, end of the first half and. Um, Sort of, I'd say from from about fifteen minutes into the second half when we really started to to kind of turn the screw, and then we got the got the the second goal, and and they we should really go on and get three one. Um, obviously, Matip has that that header, but I think to be honest, we're we're also fairly profligate at times. I think you know it's something we've said before, but the front three um, could could be more clinical. Uh, both in terms of finishing chances and creating chances when they when they have the opportunity, um, but the midfield was uh, was dominant, absolutely dominant. We had one less in there. We had a three man midfield, they had a four, and oh, well, three plus Hamas Rodriguez, who doesn't do much, doesn't do much of the dirty work to be fair, like, but still, still, still a right midfielder, still playing there, um, and you know Liverpool. Absolutely dominated there, and certainly, certainly in Europe, I think that's going to be a formidable midfield and and against top clubs in the Premier League. Because let's be fair to Everton on this occasion, in this season, in this incarnation, they are a good side, and what we showed was they're not a patch on us. Uh, they could well, could well, if they manage to stay fairly injury free. Um, they could certainly challenge for top four. Um, when I look around the league at the moment, it's to me it looks looks even weaker than last year. Um, which is bizarre, uh, because last year it wasn't particularly strong, but I think it, it, it's gone more, it's got it's gotten one worse slightly. Uh, now that may change. Of course, there are clubs who who have invested and and got new players, and it'll take a while to gel and so on, but. Yeah, looking around there, Everton are a good side, and Ancelotti's got them got them playing very efficient sort of football, uh, and their midfield had been had been lauded and rightly so um, in the in the build up to this game, but Liverpool dominated that area, and I would um, as I as I've said, it could get broken up a little bit because of the injury to Van Dijk. You might see Fabinho having to drop back there, but if Gomez keeps his keeps his place there, and we we do get to see Fabinho in the centre, then um, we will hopefully see uh, many more outings for that uh, for that trio. Yeah, you you would hope so, um, and you'd hope that that level stays high. And Jake, with, there's been a lot of speculation about Fabinho moving back into into the centre half position, how that potentially is going to compromise that that midfield. But you know, on the other hand, isn't that why we isn't that why we brought Thiago in? Isn't that one of the reasons? 
Um, because realistically, you know, I said at the start of the season, once Lovren went, Lovren is going to be so difficult to replace from a transfer perspective because you can't get someone with that experience that's played at that level for that sort of money to come in and be happy to sit as a fourth-choice centre-half. And realistically, if you're bringing in a a fourth-choice centre-half, and there's been a lot of talk on social media about, oh, you know, net spend, and at least we balance the books, and you know, we've left ourselves short and everybody saw this coming, but you can't legislate for an ACL, the, the best centre half in the world. But the fact is, are you really going to be able to go out into the transfer market and get a centre half that can do the job better than Fabinho can do for any sort of realistic asking price? Price? Uh, probably not, is the short answer to that. Hey, if you look at the last fourth choice centre half that we got, was probably Ragnar Klavan, who, A, is experienced, but not the level of experience that they are loving is, and B, was four million, something like that. We turned him over within two years. He'd done a job, he was serviceable, but that's the level of what you're shopping it, and we're not that level of club anymore. When we compared, like, when, say, like the likes of Adam Lallana, we, most of us agreed that we've surpassed his level of ability. Now, that's what I mean with Claban. The the sort of players on the market who we could have got would not be to the level that we deemed requirable. So, therefore, you you do go with what you've got, and that is arguably the world's best defensive midfielder who can play centre-back. And, yeah, that was maybe a factor in why we bought Thiago, because he can play a variety of midfield roles and with with a couple shorts at the moment on fitness, but it's not as bad as a first feared. If you think of if Fabinho is the third centre back option, and that's up to the base of whether you list him first, second, or third within that role, he is the third centre back available to us on a full first team fitness situation. Then you've still got Thiago, Ginny Henderson can play that holding midfield role. You've still got Thiago, Ginny Henderson. Cater, Wentfitt, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Curtis-Jones, who can play either side of that holding midfield role. We've also then got attacking options in Minamino, Shakiri, Origi, Jota, who can all play anywhere across the front line, or we can play a 4-2-3-1 if we have to. So it's not the crisis that everyone thinks it is. It, obviously, the situation is something that you can't legislate for, but it's not as bad as we first feared and you're losing the world's best centre-half and there's nothing you can do about it, but you've just got to get on with it. And I'm sure Klopp and the team at Melwood, who were much more advanced in the brain than what we are as mere mortal fans of the game, have accounted for something like this, where if we, if we do lose a player, we've got options within the field and the one that we can pull back is Fabinho. So it's it's it's... It's not ideal, but it's it's not the crisis that everyone's making out to be. We all we've just got to be 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 done with the hand that we're dealt. So everyone gets injuries, and clubs cried last season. Liverpool don't get injuries. We did. We had loads of players out. We're missing our first choice goalie. We were missing them again last season. Like everyone said, City's title defence was because Laporte was injured. Well, this is now for us to put our chests out and say, well, we're missing the actual best centre half in the world for 
on paper, what is probably the whole season. We've now got to stand up and say, well, you've made that as your excuse last year. This isn't an excuse for us. We're going to get on with it. We're going to knuckle down. and We're going to prove that just one player doesn't make a team. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I agree 100%. And I, I was texting Johnny Henderson last night, and I was like, if, if Van Dyke is out, I, I almost... I wanted even more now to do it without him. You know, yeah. I, I, I want to be able to say, we're that good. We don't need the world's best centre half to win the league or to win the, to win the, to win the Champions League. We don't, we don't need him because we're that good all over the park. It's a motivation for the team now to, to prove that, yeah, like, like, like the Man City thing, they were all blaming companies being gone, Laporte being injured. Well, now it's time for for the rest of the team to step up. And yeah, they have got to step up. But if you're going to play for Liverpool, then you've got to. That, that, it's as simple yeah, as that. And 100%. And Beryl, you know, after the shambolic Villa Park debacle, there were big players that stepped up in a big way um, on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Um, Robertson was, I thought, Absolutely fantastic. Um, from his delivery to his defending to his work rate and his endeavour. I thought Mane looked different class. And then, you know, Salah smashes in another first-time finish. That started, that's, that's, that seemed to become um, uh, almost this season like a bit of a trademark finish where I think he scored six goals and only one of them he's taken more than one touch. So, there I, I, and also, you know, I, I I think it would be remiss not to mention that it's his 100th goal for the club, um, only the 17th player in the club's history to do so. So, yeah, people are saying he's the he's the best player. Van Dijk's the best player at the club, and what are we going to do? But you know, that to me shows a little bit of a lack of respect to some of the quality that we have in other areas of the pitch. Yeah, it, it's um, um, yeah, he, you know, Virgil van Dijk uh, was uh, the, the final uh, piece of the puzzle when we got him, but um, um, we have evolved from that point on. We we have become uh, far more dominant, and I think um, attaining Thiago will e- even uh, make us more dominant because of our. Um, uh, our, our passing, our, our, our ball circulation will, will uh, go up a level. Um, so the, uh, if we do that right, there will not be uh, actual um, defending uh, a lot of the time. And, you know, what, what, what's, what's special about uh, Virgil van Dijk is, of course, that n- not only uh, does he have uh, all these qualities that the, the, the classical um, uh, very good uh, centre backs have uh, you know his physical presence, his heading ability, but he's also very quick. Um, uh, but he also is a very good uh, football player, and he, he was he was part of of the passing game. He he, he was always the player that switched uh, to the uh, to the right flank. Uh, you know uh, all that uh, is is going to be missed. And you know, there's no denying that. But we are, uh, as Jay uh, rightly said, we are not a one uh, one uh, player team. And uh, it's it's a bit of a cliche, of course. But you know, other people, uh, other players will need to step up uh, and uh, and 
you know, Gomez had um, had a mixed season, and it's very strange to say something uh, about a young player uh, who just won the, P- the Premier League title. But um, it, uh, I-, I thought he didn't progress as as well as he as he as I expected him to, uh, and uh, and he was he he, he was a bit. Um, um, uh, it was a bit, yeah, yeah. You, you are hearing my cat. Uh, I've, I've moved house, and and she's not allowed out uh, for for a time, uh, for a time. It's being. good so, to hear uh, she agrees with you, though. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. She 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 will settle down now. I think she has uh, accepted that I won't let her out. Sorry for that, but uh, um, uh, yeah, we were talking about Joe Gomez. Um, uh, yeah, he will he will need to show. Um, why we uh, have faith in him? He is only 23 years old, uh, which is you know very young for a for a defender. And um, if he stays fit um, and um, um, finds his his uh, his confidence back, um, I think he he will do very well. And you know Matip is no Virgil Van Dijk, but he 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 has the uh, at least he has the the heading ability, and you know, for him, uh, the asterisk or the question marks about staying fit are even bigger. But uh, you know, uh, um, if if he stays fit, then I think we will do fine, and um, and yeah, we will concede more goals, and we will um, we will be more vulnerable. But at, you know, uh, then we need to score more goals, and and maybe we will um, we will try to. To change our tactics because last year was 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 the tactic of um, of winning by uh, by by uh, little margins by one nil two two one it was was a scoreline that we saw often but the year before that we we scored a lot more and maybe we need to revert to those tactics and uh, and and outscore um, and the opponents. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge, and uh, at the same time, uh, uh, every challenge is 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 an opportunity for for players to to show what they can. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's nothing that we we, we would have hoped for. But uh, again, um, when when Nathaniel Klein um, was uh, was injured. Uh, uh, it, it that that looked like a like a big problem for us. I I, I remember Trent uh, playing away against Manchester United, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it was in the league or in the uh, in the UEFA, uh, uh, the Europa League, uh, one of those games. But uh, you know that, that was a very nervous uh, start. But you know we all know what happened, and uh, and and how he. Um, Use that opportunity to show that what he can, and we, we, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm not seeing uh, anyone uh, as a candidate to uh, to displace Virgil uh, definitely, but also I don't see why this should derail our season altogether. No, I, I agree with you. Um, however, just to play a bit of devil's advocate, Chief, the big concern I have is where it leaves us from set pieces. Um, it was noticeable to me. Obviously, it was noticeable to everybody, but 
I was very conscious of the fact that it wasn't long after Van Dijk went off that we can see the set piece from a corner. And I understand that people have concerns around the goalkeeper there. I don't think he, I don't necessarily think he should have come for the ball for the corner because it was whipped in at pace. It was kind of near post. He's coming through bodies, but I think if Virgil Van Dijk's on the pitch, Michael Keane does not get what's basically a free header there from four or five yards out, and he doesn't even need to do a lot with the ball because all the pace is on the corner. Um, that to me leaves us a little bit exposed, and that for me. Set piece, um, set piece defending will be a big concern because, like, this sounds really basic, but I'm a big fan of of lads that just head the ball out of the box, and there's no one better than Van Dijk at just heading the ball out of the box. And when it comes to Gomez, I rate Gomez highly, but if I had to point one potential flaw out in his game, is he's not particularly dominant in the air. Yeah, um, I mean to be fair, it is it is it's obviously going to be a loss. Um, Joe Gomez isn't necessarily the best in there. It's not not the the strongest aspect of his uh, of his game. Having said that, um, and not in any way wishing to downplay uh, Van Dyke's influence or, or importance to the team. Liverpool have not been defending well for the guts of six months now. Well, this is a valid point. We'll talk about Van Dijk being the best defender in the world and, and what we're going to do without him. This is a guy that played in a back four that conceded seven the game before this. Absolutely. And was captain that game. So not just in charge of Marshall in the back four, but in, in charge of the whole, the whole shebang on the day um, and I'm not getting at him I'm just saying that um, it's not he, he's, he's not flawless and we haven't been defending in anything like or to anything like the standard um, that we had become accustomed to I mean Van Dyke and Gomez together as a partnership were, were formidable any time they got together we just did not concede goals especially with Allison behind them uh, last season, at the beginning of the of the of the campaign, when we what when we win seven, eight, nine in a row with with Adrian in nets, and yeah, he, he makes some good saves, but um, he's also helped out by having a, a, t- a top top defense in front of him. But and that's why, to be honest, uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not overly overly concerned I mean I'm concerned of course it's and yeah we all are he's he is our our colossus in inverted commas total rock and it's the organizational aspect that I think will could could hurt us the most but you're absolutely right whoever said it earlier I can't quite remember but whoever said uh, I think might have been herself but uh, that there will be contingencies for this this is a worst case scenario situation but they must have planned for it um, because you can't just go, ah, oh, well, he's he's always going to be fit. Um, you have to plan for a situation where, well, well, what if you're without him for half a season, you know? So that will have been worked on. I think the, the there are two pieces of positive news that we got today, and, and you can talk about set pieces um, 
but we've also conceded from set pieces during this run of, of pretty abject defending I've been talking about because not only have we not been defending well, we've we've actually been conceding terribly. <laughs> the the goals we've we've been conceding, the, the, the defending that we've been doing has been almost rele- relegation style at, at times. Well, it is relegation style because statistically we have after West Brom played tonight, they're the only team that's conceded more goals on us, I think. Well, well, there you go. There you go. So it's, you know, it's stark. So, of course, you can take out, you know, the Villa game and say seven of the goals were in one game and some of them were freak goals and whatever. But, you know, the stats are there and they don't lie. They they, they paint the picture. So, you know, there was an issue there anyway. And there is a, the potential that what this could do is just sharpen up everybody's focus, the whole lot. Yeah, you won it last year. Yeah, you were 18 points better, but there's no Verge now. There's no, there is no Superman. There is no six foot six, absolute Rolls Royce of a defender there, calming everything down, organizing everything, and then just turning around and knocking a 70 yard ball, you know, down to down to Mo Salah's chest or or whatever. That's not there, so everybody else just has to sharpen up that that little bit because they're absolutely capable. I mean, the quality is there. We we absolutely have the ability to win this title without Virgil Van Dijk. We just have to have the belief and go out and do it. I mean, we didn't. We played without Van Dijk for 80 minutes of that game, and we were hands down better than the form team and the the team top of the table going in to the game, the team that everyone was talking about. So I, I you know, I, I don't have any worries in, in that context. What, what we need now, though, is is essentially to, to, to remain lucky with, with injuries elsewhere. We need Alisson to come back quickly. That seems to be happening, touch wood, as long as there are no um, no reactions. But he seems to, the, the timeline is, is, is good on, on Alisson. Him coming back in is massive. Um, keeping Joe Gomez and Joe Maddox fit, fit uh, hugely important, certainly certainly over this next run of games, uh, and just in allowing the team to get used to to bedding in without uh, Verge. Um, and I think once we do that, three four games, we put the points on the board, everything will follow. Uh, so I don't think it is something. I mean, if we had lost Allison for the season, I would be saying forget about it. At this point, I'd just be saying forget about it because the drop-off there is so bad and there you only have one. You only have one other goalkeeper. You can't bring in Keller. You can't bring in any, anyone else. You've only got Adrian. But we have we have cover. We have other centre-halves, center, center halves, other top-quality centre-halves. And we have the ability, as Jay said, to change systems, to protect them. And and absolutely the quality there to, to ride this out. So much as it is a blow, it's not necessarily the the hammer blow that so many are and so many pundits are are, are hoping that it will be. Yeah, it's a, a funny a funny turn of events this Jay because there's a lot of people that were saying that Liverpool weren't necessarily favourites for the title, but all of a sudden Van Dijk's injury has blown the title race wide open. So I'm not sure how those two statements match up. Um, if, if, you're, if you follow me <laughs> no. here, do you know what I mean? 
yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not sure how, how they match up. Whether it's just the Premier League hyperbole, um, I don't know. But the Media fact that spin, I think, is the same. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But <laughs> if we boil this down, yes, we know how good Van Dijk is. I kind of agree with Chief. I think it would nearly be a bigger loss to lose the goalkeeper or lose Salah for example, or maybe even Manny. Um, so, if we look at our centre-back options, we've got Matip, we've got Gomez, and we've got, got Fabinho there in, in the background. Is there is there a centre-half in the Premier League, Laporte aside, that you feel is better than any of those three? Uh, in, the sen- in the Premier League... No, not like probably on current Evans. No, no, not. like you're not you're not taking either of, of United's. No, I think know. I think the only one who's who stood out so far this season is the lad that Arsenal Gabrielli they brought in. Uh huh. However, that, that's him playing in the back three, isn't it? Yeah, and that's four games, five games of evidence. That's it. I but yeah, there's Laporte. That's all typically can't say for. There's no one else at City would take. Certainly no one at United. Uh, Tottenham, nah, probably not. Um, all the VLs been on the slide for a few years. They've got uh, Sanchez and I can't think of whoever else they've got, but no one rings a bell, obviously. Um, Chelsea, nah, no one there. <laughs> uh, Definitely no one there. So, nah, not not really. Like the. There's decent centre halves, but they're decent at that level. Like, for example, Tarkowski at Burnley is good in that system at that level. Um, but no, there's there's no one probably that's a standout better. So I'd even argue that within massive Fabinho and Gomez, we've probably got three of the best centre halves. I was to say, say three of the three that would be in the top ten in the league, I think, or top fifteen maybe. It's up to like personal opinion and stuff, but the, they are the better of the what's left around the league. But just quickly on the, the goalkeeper or Salah or Mane, yeah, I would agree. If we lost, I think if we lost one of the front lads, then we might be able to get by a bit more. As if like what we can do with Virgil, but if we'd lost Allison for the season, then then I think it is curtains and it's well, I think someone puts nineteen games now. I don't know if that's league and Champions League that we've got to get by until the January windows opens. So not that I see us shopping in the Premier League, but I think we, we probably had a deal lined up for next summer because we like to look ahead and do deals and plan for windows ahead of what's coming up I think that that might be now escalated and brought forward now who that is is one that we can discuss in the future maybe we can have a little five minutes on it now but there'll be hundreds of names out there thrown out there but I'm sure the club have probably nailed it down to maybe three that they want or there might have been a certain one that they would target next summer if they can bring that forward so be it. If not, then you might have to move to plan B because even though I have said we can probably get by with what we've got, it is always good to probably have a centre-half in there and if we were planning to bring one in, 
why not just bring it forward? Yeah, I would. I would. I don't know. It's a difficult one, um, Beryl. You know, just to get your take on this, the, the January window, everybody will be looking to it. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that it's nailed on that we bring someone, let's say, significant in who is going to make a real difference in January. I think a lot depends on where we are at that position with regards to results, league position, Champions League qualification. I think a lot will depend on um, Van Dijk's recovery time um, and what that's starting to look like um, and just general performance levels. Um, but there, again, we talked about the Premier League, but there are very few centre-halves that you can actually probably nail down around Europe and I'm sure they've scouted more extensively than my knowledge allows for. But you know, is it Umpacano at at Leipzig has has been mentioned? Um, but realistically, if you're bringing someone in to subsidise for Van Dyke, that's going to make a real difference. You're knocking the other two down the pecking order, aren't you? Um, ideally, yes. Um, and, and yes, it, it will depend on how uh, how Matip and Gomez uh, will fare, how how good they will perform, and and how fit they will stay. Um, but but you know uh, we we've sold um, Lovren, and uh, <laughs> I for one wasn't uh, unhappy that he left. Um, but uh, you know you need numbers because you know things like injuries can happen, and and even someone like Virgil who who very rarely gets uh, injured. I, th- I thought. I think the, the last time he, he was injured for a long time was when he was still at Southampton. Um, but you know these things happen. Uh, idiots like Pickford, uh, you know, uh, can happen. And 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 Matip and, and Gomez aren't aren't known for for uh, for staying fit for for long stretches, and they always have. In every season uh, I've <laughs> I've seen them, they have uh, they have uh, a, a quite a few games off because of uh, injury problems. So I think we we probably need someone. But then again, we have um, uh, I, I was impressed with uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Rice uh, Reese Williams. Is that the name? Uh, the 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 tall yeah. kid with the with the you know the the, the Virgil Virgil's uh, love hairdo. child, yeah, the baby um, Van Dyke. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he he looked uh, he looked really comfortable on the ball, and he looked very comfortable in defence because it, it was a league cup game, but uh, two league cup games, but but uh, but still, you know, it, and maybe he develops uh, into uh, the fourth choice or, or or even a third choice or even a second choice, and that would be you know um, maybe uh, too quickly, uh, but uh, so. Um, uh, uh, all these things can happen, but uh, if if it doesn't happen, I think we will we would need someone in and uh, and like Jay uh, uh, said, um, if you uh, if they were planning for a transfer in the summer, they will probably need to look at it in January. And and Dayo Upamecano was uh, mentioned. I, I, if I remember correctly, he he has a a clause. That um, that gets activated 
next season for that he will be available for 40 million euros which is uh for for a, a talented um center back it, it isn't um a lot of money anymore um i don't know if if that 40 million is is uh, is something that in january would also be uh, effective but uh, there's also um this uh also french central back at seville uh, Jules Koundé, uh, who who uh, impressed uh, people, and maybe he is a candidate. I've heard uh, rumors about that before, but you know they, that's what they are—rumors. We don't know, um, um, and um, it, it's it's relatively close, uh, close by January. But then again, uh, there <laughs> there are lots of games in in between, and we first need to to get by. And I think um, the players that need to fill uh, Virgil's very big boots at this uh, at this time uh, you know they, they can they can also um, uh, reason and they can also understand that if they don't perform well that 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 uh, that we will need to get someone in so it, they will have to perform to prevent that from happening I think yeah that, that, that's absolutely fair um, and you do like the pressure to be on players um, and Again, you know, it's a valid point to say that the midfield will potentially be compromised if, if we do have to drop Fabinho back in there, Chief. So along the lines of, of that thinking, is there a scenario to throw into the, the mix that we're fairly certain we're going to lose lose uh, Wijnaldum at the end of the season? Is there a scenario where we actually, what we actually do is we bring in a midfielder in January? six months early, that we know would place, replace Wijnaldum at the start of next season just to give us that extra cover to accommodate for the fact that Fabinho is going to have to drop back in there? Yeah, well, we could do both, to be honest, because we haven't, you know, we've made a couple of moves this um, this summer, as we know, quite late. Uh, we tied up Thiago and Jota. Um, there was talk about the centre back, but that wasn't didn't seem likely to happen this year. Uber Meccano, Leipzig weren't going to let him go this year, having already let uh, Timo Werner go. Um, so I don't. I mean, it's one of them. Liverpool like to uh, be seen to be. You know, not 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 to have their hands forced on any business. Uh, they like to be seen to have their plan and to sort of to follow it up and stick to it and and essentially not get ruffled uh, and sort of have all the all the angles covered. Um, obviously, you know that's best case scenario. Um, and unfortunately, we're we're now living in 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 a time of what is almost the worst case worst case. Scenario certainly in the forty years I've I've lived. Um, so therefore, that that you know, that that potentially leads to changes in in thinking. Um, I think it makes sense, obviously, to make the move for the centre back in uh, in January, even if you are resigned to the fact that Fabinho has to play there potentially for the rest of the season. There's no guarantee that the centre-back you sign in January can come straight in and start playing every game. You're probably going to have to ease him in. We've talked about how long it's it's taken certain players to adapt 
Um, so, so we've been lucky with some, of course, who have, you know, Thiago, perfect example. Uh, Sadio Mane, another great example. Mo Salah is another one who have just been able to come and slot straight in. And then there are still others like Fabinho, uh, Andy Robbo, um, and up to this point, Kaida, who, who took even longer than, than the others to settle, but have sort of come good. Um, certainly in the cases of, of, of Robbo and, and Fabinho. So I think you've got to make that move for the centre-back anyway. And if you did have it in the pipeline for um, for the summer, then, you know, if you can, then you certainly speed it up and you get it done in January and you get it done, as Cara was saying on, uh, uh, I think it was on Monday Night Football, you get it done 1st of January. You know, you, you don't haggle, you don't negotiate, you, you go in, you pay the money, you get it done. As to whether we're looking to also add in midfield with the potential loss of Genie going, um, or the potential loss of Genie, um, by by all means, we, we may well be looking to do that. And if we are, you might then look to move in January, but I think the priority has to be your centre-back. You move for him in January, and then you, you perhaps hold fire until, um, until the summer for your... Um, for your uh, for your midfielder, don't forget. Of course, it's supposed to be a championship year, so we're supposed to get the Euros. So that could also affect things in the summer as the transfer fees and when deals get done, and and you know who's where during preseason and all that kind of thing. Um, but I think Liverpool are now no longer in the position where they can afford to wait until the summer because, God forbid something were to happen, even something small, Joel Matty, you know, tears his hamstring and is out for a couple of months, six to eight weeks, where do you go then? You know? <laughs> then you're then you're looking at Fabinho being your starting centre back. Um and then you're all of a sudden you're starting to get stretched and, you know, you've got how many games in a week and how many competitions and so on and so on. So um I think you, you just make that move. In January, get it done. Okay. Um, all right, Jay. Let's just we'll do a couple of minutes on Ajax before we wrap things up. It's Champions League on Wednesday night. Um, we've notoriously left these these qualification scenarios, you know, right down to the wire. But at this point in time, you you kind of wanna you got to strike a balance between maybe leaving yourself a few, you know, damp squibs towards the end of the group and also managing the fitness of the guys in between. I think it's mental playing Champions League at all, to be honest. People are giving out about international football, why are they playing international football? Because people genuinely generally don't like international football, so they're using coronaviruses and, and as an excuse to beat that with. But I think the same applies to Champions League. But regardless of that, you really want to try and get this done and dusted early and yeah. leave ourselves a little bit of wiggle room where we can literally, maybe for the last game, and if we're really after the last two games, throw out an old fucking League Cup third round team. Well, just as Neil was saying, like, we are playing midweek weekend every single week now until the new year there's only one gap in the calendar and that's for international football so we don't actually get a gap because unless the, the international football scene 
is halted because it was a bit of a fastest one gone. But yeah, it, the same rules apply to Champions League. You are flying players across the continents and stuff like that. Um, as our schedule looks, we, we go to Ajax this week, then we host Mitchelland week after, then we go to Atalanta and then we got Atalanta home. That's by the end of November. If we can tie our group up by then, then we've got Ajax at home and Mitchelland away in December. Either side of a game against Wolves. So, in an ideal world, we tie our group up within four games and you, you free up those two games going into December, which is always a condensed calendar anyway. We've got eight games in December. You you want to try and give yourself a little bit of leeway if we possibly can. So, we've not been overly great away from home in Europe. I think last season was slightly better. I think we got a couple of decent away wins, but they were wins that you'd expect us to get on the road. I think we we went to Genk, was it? Um, and got a result. 4-1 uh, away. Um, and we yeah, went to Salzburg as well, didn't we? Went to Salzburg and won away 2-0, but we, we lost at Napoli and then we sort of stuttered away um, with Atletico. So we need to sort of nip this in the bud our, our away performance. Ajax and the the team that they once were on paper because the star names have gone, but Ajax as a system keep producing players. So you've got to take them with all respect because you don't know what some of these new lads have got. Um, obviously, they've lost the likes of Dest, Van der Beek and uh, Hakim Zayac. And De Jong. Yeah, I mean, from last season, they lost those three. De Jong yeah. were the year before. Um, but they just keep producing players. We've got to go there. We've got to put a barker down. And given the events of the weekend, I think it'd be good if we can just nail ourselves a comfortable victory, whether that be a 2-1, a 2-0, 3-1, whatever. We just need to get focused on football and get a result and get out of Ajax with three points and a win and move on because the games are coming thick and fast. We've got to get ourselves sorted, especially after the last two games with Villa and Everton. We just need a little bit of level, and there's no better time to do it really than going on the Champions League and putting a marker down. Yeah, absolutely. Beryl, just to, to finish off on an Ajax, you know they're not your not your first choice team. Let's say they're not your favourite team in the world, um, but you will no. see them a lot more than we have. We know, we know they're not the force they used to be. However, they're a really, really dominant win at the weekend. I think 5-1 against Herenveen. Um They've still got the likes of Tadic there scoring goals. But they're, they're not the force they were last year and certainly not two years ago, are they? Uh, two years ago, they were a really good team. Um, uh, but what they did was sell uh, the young and uh, the Licht for, for really good money because that's what they're really good at. And uh, and they've used that money to to buy some players and, and some of them look uh, look promising. They have this kid from uh, the uh, Danish league, uh, Mohamed Kudus, who, is, uh, who looks like a player. Um, uh, and, and they have this, this uh, Richardson-like player uh, 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 Anthony, I believe it's his name is he's a, he's a Brazilian. So he's a wee, he's a wee, a wee prick then. Yeah, absolutely. 
So that, that's why I said Richards like, uh, and he's he he he's uh, he's a good dribbler, but uh, you know I don't think not very effective at this uh, at this moment. Um, they have they have uh, some good players, and I think their coach is uh, is is really good. He's tactically he's a he's a very interesting coach. Um, he he was a player himself, and then he went to a Bayern Munich. Um, uh, Pep Guardiola uh, took him in as his uh, as the, the coach for his second team. So you know Bayern has this has his second team that plays in in, in some lower league, and uh, he was there uh, their coach, their their manager, you could say, and he he uh, he plays some really progressive football, uh, and yeah, they they can prove to be uh, an uh, uh, an interesting op- uh, op- opponent. But you know, uh, this is the Dutch league uh, where they win five win, and they lost last week, or you know, uh, last um, uh, the week before the international uh, week was. Uh, uh, they are not, uh, they haven't gelled yet. They they are still looking for how um, how to fill in the gap that uh, Hakim Ziyech uh, um, left behind. Um, uh, you know, what usually happens is that when, when teams play against Ajax, they uh, they start with uh, being um, cautious because you know it's Ajax, uh, and then they they find out that they're not as good as they would they would think, and they start to dominate, and then they uh, they even start to uh, overestimate themselves, or, or better said, they they. They get a bit arrogant, and then Ajax hits them back. This is usually what happens. I hope we don't do that. I am very desperate for us to win. Um, I, have, I have lots of friends who support Ajax, and uh, and you know, Ajax is, is you know it's it's the safe choice for kids to 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 support because you know they they win um, most of the time. Uh, it's like the Bayern Munich of uh, of the Netherlands, and 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 it's a bit of a myth that they produce so many players. It's, uh, if you look at their lineup, uh, there are some players that they have produced, but well, they're uh, all from Africa and Scandinavia, aren't they? And yeah, Belgium and countries like that. They buy very well, and they they have a very good scouting system, and they use data very well um, and not only data to to uh, to scout and and, uh, and recruit players but they're also very good at at um, at, at training them um, they use all sorts of, uh, of 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 imaging to to point out uh, uh, how players can can move better and and you know th- they are a very well-run club uh, and and what they run best is their their public image, and therefore they get very much inflated prices for their players. I think Sir Junior Dest is is the latest example, who is a, a very limited right back, uh, uh, who who I, I don't think he will perform in the in in the, in, in the next f- uh, three four years. Maybe after that he will he will uh, you know. Um, become uh, a player who is fit to, to play uh, for Barcelona, but not at this moment, I think. But uh, never mind. Oh, yeah. And, and this is important, of course. They, they, their, their latest transfer was Davy Klaassen. So, and you know, <laughs> you know him, um, the, the former Everton player uh, sold to Everton for a massively inflated, inflated price. 
So, uh, uh, you know, if we play with the intensity that we played uh, uh, that we played with uh, against Everton, we will we will hammer them. Uh, but if if we are not uh, at our best, which we haven't been sometimes uh, playing away in the Champions League, then they have a chance against us. Okay, so let's all hope for a, for a a typical Liverpool resilient performance um, to arrest the issues that we we currently have and. Thanks for joining me, lads, and until next time, up the up the fuck the PGMOL Reds.